You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support, the new Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Well, welcome back in and welcome to the month of May on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am a somewhat capable host of the program, TJ Reeves. He is the owner, the operator, the purveyor of SportsMediaWatch.com. John Lewis is back aboard. Always good to have you. I will just say to the audience, John has been a little bit under the weather. He was like a game time decision for the podcast, but not unlike Michael Jordan in the 97 finals. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going to be denied. I'm here. I'm showing up and I'm going to go. What did Jordan go for that night? 39, 41, 43. I don't know if you're going to go for like 39, 41 or 43 points tonight, but you are here uh, here as part of the podcast. Good to have you. Yep. Well, you know, uh, just uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend uh, the combination of uh, COVID and finals week to anybody, but (laughs) whatever, you know. You are better, though. I can tell the audience because I can see John. John looks better, may sound a little gruff, but you are feeling better. And so we're able to get the podcast recorded Uh, enough with the sympathy ploys uh, that are out there for the audience. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of what we're doing after we remind you, however you found this show, this podcast through John's excellent site, sportsmediawatch.com, through a social media link. Make sure you're following or subscribing. Uh, Some more of you are finding us and subscribing. We are seeing audience growth. We want that to continue. Follow or subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, just search for uh, sportsmediawatch.com's podcast. You will find us there. We're out usually early in the week, kind of setting the table by midweek for the week and the weekend. So please do that. So, John, when last we talked, we were in the preparation mode 
for one of the most fascinating success stories in terms of sports TV that isn't a game, and that is the NFL draft coverage. So the 2022 NFL draft has come and gone. Again, three networks were part of the opening night with ESPN slash ABC and also the NFL network. I've got a story to two or two to relay here in a moment, but let's begin with you as the draft is now in the books, the three-day process, including the Thursday opening night. What are your thoughts and what about the numbers as we begin? Well, you know, the draft uh, was not the kind of draw this year that it has been in the past. And look, the reality is that we're talking about an event that probably shouldn't get any of the audience that it gets, right? I mean, it's absurd that a draft does as well as it does over the course of three days. Uh, so the fact that the draft had, what, 10 million viewers on night one, and that was the lowest in five years. Yes, that was the lowest in five years, but it's incredible that this event gets 10 million viewers. Uh, but uh, it was the lowest rated, or I should say the least watched NFL draft since 2017, the year before they added the third network, uh, the broadcast network simulcast. And you know, I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, the NFL, we, there's been all, you know, with the NFL, it's never a normal conversation, right? The NFL's ratings go down and, oh my goodness, the NFL's dying, football's dying. The NFL's ratings go up and it's the NFL is never going to be stopped. You know, everyone get out of the way of the NFL. <laughs> and, you know, look, the NFL ratings will go up and ratings will go down. I wouldn't be remotely surprised. And in fact, I'm going to put it out here now. Ratings will probably drop next year right? Because that's just the way it goes. Ratings go up, ratings go down. And, you know, the draft, ultimately, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to keep going up forever. One of the theories that's out there, do you buy this, is because there was not such intrigue on who's the top quarterback and are there two or three big time quarterbacks at the very beginning in the eight Eastern time hour that it hurt this year's version of the draft example a year ago the first three picks were quarterbacks seemingly every year the number one pick if not you know like three of the first four or five five of the first ten or quarterbacks last thursday night the only quarterback taken in the first round was the Pittsburgh Steelers taking the local product, Kenny Pickett from Pitt. And they didn't do that until the 10 o'clock Eastern time hour, picking him with the 20th pick back to the premise. Do you believe that hurts some of the draft ratings in the analysis here that quarterback is the dominant interest position and they just didn't have it last Thursday night. You buy that John Lewis. Well, you know, yeah, I think it's not a coincidence that this was the first uh, the first time since 2017 that the draft had a defensive end as the number one pick, and it was the least watched draft since 2017. So that's not remotely surprising to me. Um, we talk about how great the ratings have been the last four years, and there's been all sorts of reasons for that. The addition of the broadcast network simulcast obviously the COVID year where there was nothing else on last year where there was limited competition, but all those years you've had star quarterbacks who were number one as well. Right. I mean, the COVID year was going to be a record, even if a punter was picked number one, <laughs> you know, the reality is that Joe Burrow went number one and he was a big star. So this is the first time in a while that the number one pick is not well-known. I mean, honestly, I've never heard of him. Uh, and so, and it you know, wasn't just number one, if I can interject, but the first two or three players are not quarterbacks. Again, you're taking uh, an Aiden Hutchinson uh, for the Detroit Lions as a defensive lineman. If you're a Michigan football fan or a Big Ten football fan, you knew that name. Other than that, you would struggle. Most most fans of sports would struggle to know that name. 
Uh, so I think it's a good point that you make on that. Just one more, the NBA, which their ratings are up. We're going to talk more about this. They were playing games during that time frame as well, playoff games. Do you believe that hurt the number a little bit because it included um, the Phoenix Suns putting away the New Orleans Pelicans, I believe, in the second half of the draft window? That was going on while the draft was going on. Yeah, well, you know, the NBA uh, TNT's doubleheader was up 63% from the solo game it aired opposite the draft in 19. There you go. So that's, you know, you're talking a significantly larger audience. And, you know, the draft viewership in terms of raw numbers was down 2.5 million viewers from last year, or actually 2.8 million from last year. And the NBA doubleheader on TNT averaged pretty much that audience. The NBA doubleheader averaged... uh, uh, 2.9. So, you know, I'm not saying that the entire drop off is from the NBA, but the NFL averaged 2.8 million fewer viewers on a night when the NBA averaged 2.93 million. So I think worth that's a point, the worth a point worth mentioning, by the way, uh, look, I, I'm not asking for uh, any pity here. I'm just pointing out that I had something different for the first of the numerous, numerous live draft broadcasts that I've done as part of Buccaneer radio duties. Again, John, I've worked all types of these, having worked the 2015 draft where Jameis Winston was the first overall pick by the Buccaneers. So in that case, we do the one-hour warm-up show. We know the Buccaneers are on the clock. We know they're taking either Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota. And honestly, we knew by the time we got to draft time, it's going to be Jameis Winston. We, we, we have the pick. They go on the clock. The Bucks make the pick. We interview Jameis Winston within probably about 10 minutes of him being picked. We interview the Buccaneers general manager, Jason Light, within a few minutes after that. So within the first half hour of the draft, we had done most everything we had set out to do. Okay, I worked an exact opposite of that a year ago where the Bucks were the final pick, the 32nd pick in the draft, having been the Super Bowl champions. And we literally sat there with the one-hour warm-up show. My co-host and I, I'll give him a shout-out on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Pat Donovan is his name. Pat is a midday host on the all-sports station 95.3 WDAE in this market, the powerhouse uh, sports station in the Tampa Bay market. So he and I sat there that night a year ago for an hour before and then for five hours of the draft until approximately 12:20 a.m. Eastern time when the Bucks made the 32nd pick. So that night we talked for about five hours and 20 minutes before the Buccaneer pick last Thursday night, we talked and talked and talked building up to the 27th pick. And just before it happened, lo and behold, John, the Buccaneers traded out of their spot, traded with the Jacksonville Jaguars and traded completely out of the first round. We talked for four and a half hours until right around 1130 Eastern time, 1120, 1130 Eastern time, and the Buccaneers never made a pick. And we stayed on the air until just before midnight Eastern time when the first round of the draft concluded with the Buccaneers never having made a pick. We didn't get to interview the draft pick that never happened. We didn't get to analyze it, talk about any of it. So I'm just sharing that was a first the other night among first that was a lot of talking my friend you know i do a lot of talking on this podcast with you but that was a lot 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 of talking to have no draft pick mm-hmm. is my point on that now there were numerous teams that knew uh for their broadcast hey our you know cleveland las vegas and i'm leaving somebody out there were like eight of them that knew we don't have a pick in the first round unless they traded the first round we didn't know that the other <laughs> We're sitting there waiting, anticipation. What are they going to do? And they make the trade. I just thought I would share that little aside on the draft coverage on the Sports Media Watch 
Steelers.com podcast. That's a long time to talk with no player. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure Stephen A. Smith could do it. Is that difficult? <laughs> so. Maybe on the NBA draft. I don't know if he could do it uh, on the NFL draft, if that's the case. Another subject on this, we did talk about Mel Kuyper, who is as much a draft institution as there is in terms of the media. He was part of the ESPN coverage. Full disclosure on our radio coverage, we are locked into the NFL Network broadcast with Rich Eisen, Joel Klatt, uh, Charles Davis, and Daniel Jeremiah. They're, they're big scouts that's on there, and they're also their broadcast host. So we were not watching the ESPN broadcast all night on Thursday night. I am well aware that Mel was joining uh, the likes of Mike Greenberg and the analysts that they had there, Booger McFarlane, I believe, there, and Lewis Riddick, I believe, that they had there. Um, as part of the draft coverage and whomever else they had remotely. John, did you peek into some of how that went? And I know I saw Mel later in the week on Friday night and Saturday from his home. It was definitely odd and different, but they made it work with him giving some analysis as they went along with the picks from his home, just real quick. Well, you know, to be completely honest, I didn't see a second of any of the draft coverage at all. Um, You know, I'm not a draft guy. I was watching NBA and uh, the Richard Pryor comedy uh, critical condition I watched as well. Uh, So I did not laughs out of that one. Uh, well, you know, it was, it was all right. Uh, very, very young and skinny. Bob Sackett was in that movie as well. Wow. Okay. Very yeah. good. So the plot is that Richard, uh, Richard Pryor is a criminal and he uh, escapes into a hospital and is moonlighting as the doctor and he's delivering <laughs> okay. babies and doing, I mean, it's, it's yeah. You saw but, you know, Brewster's millions, the baseball movie with Richard Pryor, where he has to spend all the money. You've seen that one. I saw it at a very young age. Okay, and, is, uh, is, is, is the one you're talking about now better than Brewster's millions? Cause I think Brewster's millions is pretty good. Not well, great. Pretty I good. think it, it's not, it's one of those movies where it's not a good movie, but you know, Richard Pryor is enjoyable to, to, to watch. Richard right? Pryor and uh, G, uh, Lord, I'm going to lose the name. Gene George Wilder. Oh, okay. G, G, Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder in stir crazy. It's a little bit vulgar, but it is very funny where they go to prison wrongfully and mm. have to survive. That's a, Raunch comedy that's good from Richard Pryor as well. I'll recommend that one while we're on was, the podcast. I, was I mistaken? No, he, he did do one with George Carlin, Car Wash, right? I believe so. Seventy-six. Yes. 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 When he was I, a big-time comedian, that's correct. Yeah. Now, so he, just he, FYI, though, for anybody that's hearing us that doesn't know about this, the language is very colorful and off the charts. If that bothers you, R-rated comedies being what they were in the late seventies and the early to mid eighties. Yeah. Just be aware. Well, I've not seen it myself, so I can't vouch for uh, any of that, but I'm assuming a Richard Pryor film will probably be a little bit uh, body, just a little bit <laughs> body. A very yeah. good one. All right. So you were engrossed in that. So I'm just right. pointing out that Mel was there remotely. I mean, there were some odd moments where, again, you're just going along and Mel's looking for his notes, John. And Mel, Mel's like looking away while the others are talking. He's on camera and he's clearly looking away and he's doing something with his laptop or his notes and his draft guide, the famous draft guide. He's coming, he's coming back on camera. Um, it was just a little different because normally you would be sitting on the set with those guys and they wouldn't be showing you is the point, right. but they had him up on the TV there remotely the whole time. Any final thought on any or all of that? Well, you know, that's going to be the model going forward, right? Herb Street wasn't there either. Uh, people are going to keep getting sick with COVID all the time and having to miss assignments. People are going to be dealing with just the realities of aging, like Kirk uh, was dealing with, uh, you know, and the 
the good thing now is that you can work around that by having people show up from their homes. Uh, and it does bring a level of authenticity that I think people like, um, you know, I mean, there's a limit to it, right? We uh, don't want to see your play-by-play voice sitting at home, but an analyst can, you know, especially on a studio style program, uh, it's not, it's not too bad. Voice of John Lewis. It is the sportsmediawatch.com podcast as we rock along here. Let's segue to the NBA that we already made mention of as they continue through their playoffs and they have had rating success that you touched on, including Sunday, the opening game of the Golden State at Memphis series did very well on network TV. John expound upon the rating success that continues. Well, you know, it was the most watched opening round or most watched second round game one since 2011 when it was Celtics heat, very hyped series. And, you know, yeah, the Warriors are there, but, you know, they're not playing the most high profile opponent. Memphis generally is not a team that draws that well. So that tells you, you know, there's there's something going on with the NBA that's positive. Some of that is out of home, but not all of it. And the reason I say not all of it is because. The 7.7 million viewers is the big headline, but the game also had a 4.1 rating. As we know, the household rating does not include out of home. And a 4.1 rating for a Warriors-Grizzlies game, you know, when these two teams met in the the second round back in 2015, granted an eternity ago, and the Warriors were not the kind of draw then that they are now, but when they met in game one in the same exact Sunday afternoon window on ABC back in 2015, that game had a 3.0 rating. Right. So that 4.1 rating is pretty strong. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the uh, audience for net Celtics, huge audience, 6.9 million viewers, but the rating at 3.1 really wasn't that great. A 4.1 rating is a great rating for an NBA game at 3.30 PM on a Sunday. Right. Not great because of out of home, just great. So in fact, i kind of felt like the numbers from Sunday, 3.0 3.0 for Bucks Celtics, 4.1 for Warriors Grizzlies. The first doubleheader on ABC where both games get a three rating since 2018. I think that's the healthiest day the NBA's had in the ratings, including the finals, since this whole disaster happened uh, back in, in 20, um, including the finals. Because How you know, much can I interject? Did it help that they were both close competitive games and you had a major market, obviously, in Boston, like yeah. we talked about last week? How much did those factors help, do you believe? Well, I'm sure they helped quite uh, quite a bit um, having the, you know, Golden State in there, obviously Boston defending champion Bucks, you know, uh, it was a good doubleheader to have, certainly, um, you know, we there's a we, the last time LeBron missed the playoffs in 2019, it actually had an impact. LeBron not being there had an impact. And in that 2019 playoffs, the Warriors drew really, really well, but that was it. It was the Warriors or bust. This is very different. This year's playoffs, the Warriors are obviously the biggest draw in the league, but the biggest draw in the first round was Celtics-Nets. It was the most watched first round series in six years, right? Um, And, you know, I imagine that the Warriors series will end up being the most watched in the second round, but Bucks celtics is probably going to hold its own, right? We'll see what happens with the other two, uh, Sixers, Heat, and Mavericks, Suns, but... There's a health right now in the NBA where the three years ago when LeBron missed the playoffs, it was a problem. This year, it's really not a problem, right? And while the good times are going to end when the Warriors get eliminated, I think 
it will be very interesting to see what the ratings look like for a Bucks Suns finals rematch because the ratings are kind of so much healthier this year that you could have the exact same finals matchup as last year. And I would think that you would be looking at a substantial increase. Well, we'll see if that is in fact the case. And again, the Bucks um, got the game one win over Boston at the time that John and I are releasing the podcast. We don't know about the result of game two. We'll see how long that one goes. Interesting. Phoenix and Dallas got underway. I watched a lot of that. A very competitive game one there. Uh, again, the NBA is not going to make an announcement, John, as we know. But if they could get Golden State into the Western Conference Finals against either Phoenix or Dallas, that's a win for them more so than Memphis. And look, I'm a Memphian. I'm a native Memphian. I'd love to see them do well with John Morant, but it's not going to be the same national draw if it's Memphis against Phoenix or Dallas versus Steph clay and the golden state brand name that's been there for a decade in the playoffs in the western conference finals i understand what you're saying maybe the maybe the surge is coming up you kind of you kind of are interested in the uh apples to apples comparison if it is milwaukee and phoenix is what your point is on that will the audience be a couple million greater for the same exact virtually same personnel almost the same personnel same exact matchup in the finals a year later i think it'd be i think it would be really interesting i mean look you know Obviously, the NBA would prefer Boston Boston versus Golden State, right? That's sure. the best case out of, all, out of all the teams that are left, Boston Golden State or Philly Golden State, although obviously we know Philly probably isn't going to make it out of the series against Miami. But, you know, really, I, I truly think that what we're seeing right now is a stronger NBA, such that even the worst case matchup, which would have to be Memphis-Milwaukee, uh, or actually, you know, maybe Memphis, Miami would be right, worse. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, Memphis, Miami would do pretty badly. I mean, I can't imagine any series doing as badly as last year, or certainly the bubble. So pretty much anything would increase. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think so much of this has to do with the NBA getting back to its normal time of year. I think it should be pointed out today is May 3rd. The equivalent day of last year's playoffs was June 8th. The equivalent day of the 2020 playoffs was September 1st. Mm, sure. You know, we did. A, there was a lot of talking about the NBA's ratings the past two years uh, where people were rather dishonestly deciding that the most anomalous period in the NBA's history could be used as an appropriate gauge of the league's popularity. And a lot of people made a lot of hay out of ratings that the NBA generated in a fanless bubble in August, September, and October. Uh, and, you know, I mean, even last year's playoffs, we have this memory of last year's playoffs being normal, but go and take a look at some of the highlights from last year's playoffs sometime, particularly the first couple of rounds. That first round reduced capacity pretty much everywhere. The announcers are not there. They're remote. Wow. They're in their homes. When, you know, even into the second round, when the announcers were finally there, you still had reduced capacity. You had this, you know, ridiculous nonsense where Kawhi Leonard's incredible dunk against Utah is happening in front of cardboard cutouts. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, the reality is that last year's playoffs wasn't normal either. It was closer to normal than it was to the bubble, 
but it was not normal. And so last year's ratings to me, which were not great, not nearly as bad as the bubble, but just not great ratings. And we should point out, let me interject too, they got started later because of the COVID-19 scheduling and what they had to do. The the, uh, previous season had not ended until September, right, John? September of 2020, they didn't- October. October. The next season did not start until after Christmas or right at Christmas, and they had a shortened regular season but still weren't playing the opening round like you're mentioning until June and didn't play the finish until July in the NBA Finals. And by that time, a lot of people had begun to venture and go back out on vacation in the summer, and that's your point. It was all out of whack even in the opening rounds on the usual timing of May being the beginning of the playoffs. Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, these last two years, I'm not saying that we should pretend they never happened. Right. Mm -hmm. I will vouch for the basketball that was played in the bubble. It's not the same as the basketball that's being played now, but there were some great games in there. You know, uh, Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell, the Anthony Davis game winner, the Nuggets come back against the Clippers, even that great Celtics Raptors series that people forget went the full seven. There was good basketball played in the bubble, but it's, you know, as far as the business metrics of the NBA, it should be thrown out. It should like, I mean, I'm not making any comparisons to the bubble in, in when I'm writing about the ratings because it's just, I mean, it's. There's no point to doing that. The bubble was it's sta- this standalone emergency thing that will hopefully never be done again. That happened at a time of year. I mean, you had playoff games starting at one o'clock on a Monday. Yep. You know, and I kind of look back at a little bit of, you know, it was so difficult to figure out how to report on those numbers because, you know, you can't just ignore the numbers. I mean, these, you know, the numbers are what the numbers are, but you know, trying to compare a playoffs where you have weekday afternoon games in August to a normal playoffs. And when, when I think about the amount of hay that was made out of the ratings in the bubble or even the ratings last year, and it's so clear now that those were anomalies, it really feels like it was a complete waste of time and energy uh, you know, to talk about the ratings that the NBA and NHL and anybody else was getting in those extremely anomalous circumstances. All right, John, let's stay on the subject, not only of the NBA, but also of ESPN, which is broadcasting the NBA uh, along with Turner with the NBA playoffs. Eventually ESPN will obviously have the NBA finals on ESPN and ABC um, news that one of their prominent anchors on SportsCenter, Sage Steele, has filed a lawsuit against ESPN. It seems as though there's uh, there's never a dull moment with litigation and controversy with their talent and their employees. Uh, she is alleging, I, I guess, some type of discriminatory situation where because she has spoken out politically that she is being slighted professionally on assignments, et cetera. John, elaborate as much as you can and you want on this, and we'll go over it a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Sage did that uh, podcast, uh, the Jay Cutler podcast last year, said some things people didn't like, 
and uh, was taken off the air for a time, basically suspended. ESPN says she was never suspended. Uh, she said she was suspended. And uh, to be completely honest, let's be real. She was correct. Right. Uh, you know, we know we know that, you know, they, they benched her. They publicly benched her. It was not, you know, subtle. Uh, if, if it was not technically a suspension, whatever. Um, so, you know, uh, the comments she made, I'm sure, ticked off a lot of people within ESPN. And she says that she has been, uh, you know, kind of retaliated against, that she was taken off assignments uh, and uh, that people were critical of her publicly. And uh, even in the case of, I think she said Ryan Clark did not even show up to do a segment with her. Uh, and, you know, she's saying that ESPN basically is retaliated against her for not being will, you know, for uh, the comments that she that she made. Um, I actually have the lawsuit in front of me here, uh, you know, uh, and uh, look, when it comes down to it, there's a lot of there's a lot of different issues going on here. So let's deal with issue number one, which is uh Bayside High School over there in Bristol, where, you know, uh, nobody seems to be uh, of mature adult age, uh, at least in their interactions with each other. Now, help me. Um, you just made a pop culture reference. That's 90210 is Bayside no. High School, or is that Saved by the Bell? It is based... indeed Saved by I the Bell. I just got to keep my, I got to keep my pop culture straight and have you do it for me. So that's Saved by the Bell. Indeed. With, uh, okay. Indeed. Yeah. Saved by the Bell. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, there's something that's been going on, certainly at ESPN and, and, and some other places as well, where no one can handle their business like a mature adult. And everything is always leaking out to the press and everything is always kind of hostile and cliquish. Uh, and, you know, I mean, we see it at the New York Times even in their little Slack channels where they're disparaging each other all the time. Uh, there's a lack of institutional control in Bristol, it feels like, honestly. Uh, and, you know, when people talked about how John Skipper was mismanaging the company, I mean, I kind of feel bad because it's pretty plainly obvious that John Skipper was not the problem, right? So, you know, at some point at ESPN, they're going to actually have to get their act together vis-a-vis -vis talent uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, enough is enough here with these conflicts. I mean, it's embarrassing. So that's, you know, just to get that out of the way. Uh, but then there's the other issue of what Sage is alleging here, which is that ESPN ultimately has a double standard. Well, you know, it's a very interesting topic because, you know, it's kind of the outkick argument. Uh, I'm not necessarily, you know, uh, the type of person who would typically make the outkick argument, but uh, I do kind of find myself saying, well, where is the lie, right? I mean, from the standpoint of ultimately Sage, you know, being the Kelsey Grammer of all of this, like the one Republican, you know, <laughs> uh, 
you know, uh, she has a much shorter leash than anybody else does. So let's go over a couple of let's go over a couple of specifics because not everybody may be following what you know and what I know of this, and you you have read through the lawsuit and know a little more of this. She went on the Jay Cutler podcast and she talked about her politics. And she talked about the work environment in ESPN. I don't have specifics, but this is the general things that she was doing. And she talked about basically something that others have alleged, which is you can't be an outspoken conservative or a Republican and exist at ESPN is the genesis, the the thrust of what got her in trouble. If I have that right, if I have that wrong, please correct me, John. But that's what got her in trouble in the first place. And so now she's taken off of assignments. She did work at the Masters recently at the at the PGA uh, Tour golf event, the, the grand championship that ESPN's part of. She was on that assignment. She's alleging, though, that ever since that, from a year ago and um, and since whatever it was, the suspension, that she's gotten less of these. And it should be pointed out that there have been others. Kurt Schilling alleged this, and Kurt Schilling was eventually dropped by ESPN. Linda Cohn, not so much political, taking a side, but Linda Cohn spoke out uh, during the John Skipper heyday. I'll just throw this in there, John, and said ESPN is being too political, period, not taking a side, saying we're being too political, period. And she got punished for that. She got suspended uh, for that. So there's a little context of what we're talking about. Please pick up with more, John. Well, you know, I think it's an interesting thing because, you know, I'm going to say something that is somewhat in support of Sage that she would hate nonetheless, which is that Sage Steele is Republican Jamel Hill. That's who she is at ESPN. And, you know, she mentions Jamel in her lawsuit, right? Uh, Ultimately, what happened with Jamel was that a lot of people hated her and were gunning for her. And every time Jamel said something political, people seized on it, right? And Sage is kind of the same way. There's a lot of people gunning for her. There's a weird level of hate with Sage Steele. Like, I understand not liking her positions, but I, you know, it's not hard to tell when the hate level is like at a point where it's like, okay, that's not normal, right? right. Jamel always had that. The first time I ever heard of Jamel Hill, I didn't even know who she was. She wasn't at ESPN yet. And someone said to me, oh, she's crazy, right? Like, I didn't even know who that was at that point. It's like 2006 or something, mm-hmm. right? So there, you know, Jamel and Sage have that in common where people just really seem to have it out for them. Um, and so people are watching everything they say uh, and, you know, that's kind of a problem because what Sage complains about is that other people at ESPN can get away with political comments and not get in trouble. And that was true with Jamel too. Jamel made those comments about Trump. You know, Kenny Mayne's no shrinking violet when it comes to this stuff. Kenny Mayne was saying a lot of the same stuff. Kenny Mayne never got in trouble. It's definitely the case that other people were saying the same kind of stuff that Jamel was, but because people were looking for a reason with Jamel, right? It's like with Manny Ramirez, and the uh, the Roger Clemens uh, pitch and that ALCS, right? You're looking for a reason. With Jamel, people are looking for a reason. With Sage, people are looking for a reason. And then when they give a reason, when they say something that's a little bit inflammatory, then all the people who've been gunning for them, all the people who want to take them out, 
they seize on it. Let me interject. Let me interject. And again, this is great discussion, in my opinion, because John is black. I am white. We're having a healthy discussion back and forth on here. Jamel Hill went like two levels up. And what she was doing was endangering the whole thing because she was now advocating boycott the Dallas Cowboys, boycott sponsors of ESPN and the NFL if they won't go along. I mean, that's like two levels up, almost as if my conjecture sitting back, what are you going to do? I'm daring you. What are you going to do? You're going to get rid of me? And eventually they did get rid of her. Um, And again, to Sage's point, uh, what she's saying is, there, this was a one-way street. Only one side's allowed to speak up. The other side's not allowed to speak up. And now she believes because she did speak up that that's where the lawsuit came in um, on that. Uh, all right, so interesting. She's still employed there yeah. for now. Not give for me, long, give, right? Give me, well, give me some insight here on she's continuing to be on the air for the moment, but what what do you perceive here about, about this with the lawsuit, how it affects her and the whole thing? Well, the Jamel parallels continue because we knew Jamel was fired long before she was fired. And we know Sage is gone, but she's not gone yet. Right. Um, you know, and uh, so that relationship will end. It'll be for the best for both sides. It'll be certainly for the best for Sage. You know, I do find that the open hostility towards Sage that she perceives. Right. Maybe she's an unreliable narrator, but the way she describes kind of the way people take pot shots at her is kind of like, you know, ESPN has got to do a better job having its talent, you know, interact uh, with, you know, but um, I think she'll be on her way out at some point, whenever a contract expires and, you know, uh, you know, we'll see what happens from there. Uh, Let me ask you this. All right. Because I believe I have this correct. She has a white husband, I believe. Okay. So I knew Sage Steele, by the way, John, 20 years ago in the Tampa Bay market when she was doing local TV on the ABC affiliate here, I am acquainted with her. I am friendly with her. I have seen her at big events since she worked here. So I know her a little bit. One, one of the biting accusations, one of the low blows came from fellow, I'm just going to group it together, fellow black critics of hers. You're not black enough. You're, you're not, you're not really black. These are things that were being said about her that were, that were damaging obviously to her and hurtful to her. So I'm just throwing that in there as part of, as part of the context here on this. Yeah. That's such a complicated, even debate into because, you know, there's, it's always very crummy when people want to try and determine other people's blackness. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also room in the black community for debate. And, you know, the fact is, if you're, if you're saying things that people believe are, well, let me not use Sage as an example. Let me use Whitlock as an example. Mm-hmm. Is Whitlock is kind of the perfect example here. I've seen Jason Whitlock say things that I believe that if a white person said them, they'd be viewed as plainly, obviously racist against black people. Right. Uh, And so, you know, if you wanted to criticize Jason Whitlock on those grounds, absolutely. I mean, I've done that. I spent a lot of time on the site doing that when it first, when it first started out, Um, you know, uh, and, but I think it's always going way too far and is, you know, to, to suggest that someone isn't black, you can criticize what they say without 
you know, I Sage brought this up before. And, you know, there is an element with Sage of being the kid who runs to the teacher and says, hey, look what they're doing. Right. He's done this multiple times now uh, where she goes to the media and says, hey, look what they're doing, um, which I'm sure is not endeared her to anybody. But, you know, she has said before that she was excluded from one of those specials about race that ESPN did in the aftermath of George Floyd. And, you know, that's complicated because I think that's kind of crummy because uh, there isn't a black conservative alive who isn't still black. And, you know, the thing about (laughs) politics is that uh, your race is a heck of a lot more visible than your political views are. Right. Uh, And And by uh, the way, can I interject? That would be an excellent point in the argument in the lawsuit of you're treating me differently. You're devaluing me. You are de-emphasizing me if you're not even letting me be part of the discussion because the perception from the outside has been for a while that it's a one-way street and so that would be a compelling part of the lawsuit if that is part of the lawsuit and she can demonstrate that from within and was she on any of that was she on any of those discussions to have another viewpoint and if not why not when other sports center anchors uh, were allowed to be there. Hey, let's just wrap it with this because I know we want to cover two or, two or three more things. How does this ultimately end in the short term? Do you believe? Do they? Do you think they will take her off the air? Do you think they let the contract play out and it quietly goes away, and then the lawsuit ratchets it up later? What's your perception on how this is going to play out? And I don't know. Is her contract up at the end of 2022? I haven't seen that in the reporting on how much longer it has left. But what's your read? On what happens here, John? Well, yeah, a lot of people think that ESPN's biggest expenditure is its Monday Night Football deal, but it is in fact the amount of money that it pays to people that it keeps off the air, right? Uh, and, <laughs> and the so, lawyers, and yeah, the lawyers, yes, yeah. the lawyers get paid. You know, so uh, I don't know. I mean, yes, they're they're doing the exact same Jamel Hill playbook, where oh no, Jamel is fine. We love Jamel. Yeah, yeah, right. We knew that they were looking for the first second to cut Jamel Hill. And uh, I think that's the same, the same story here. I want to be clear about one thing, though. ESPN isn't political. ESPN has no values at all. Never has and never will. ESPN's value is sticking its finger in the air and seeing where the wind is blowing. So Jamel, you know, it's very, it's very hilarious because there were a lot of uh, conservative, you know, leaning folks who, when Jimmy Pacharo was doing his whole spiel about, oh, ESPN, we're not a political company, they believed it. How naive they could have been. Jimmy Pacharo was saying that because that is where public opinion was at that time, right? That is where ESPN felt public opinion was at that time, right? Uh, this is back when I think Paul Ryan was still the Speaker of the House, so, you know, about 500 million years ago. Uh, and, you know, the reality is that all of that stuff that Jimmy Pitaro said about how, oh, we don't do politics, we're just a sports network. And then George Floyd is murdered and the entire tenor of the discussion changes. And now ESPN is doing things on the air that would not. I mean, the funny thing with Jamel, Jamel and Michael hardly ever covered politics or anything non-sports, certainly on his and hers, but even on the sports center that they anchored. This, you know, they, they mostly stuck to sports. And the amount of political gesturing that you see now 
far exceeds anything in the John Skipper era, far exceeds anything in the Jamel Hill era, because all of that discussion about how, oh, we're, we're not a political network, we just took to sports. That's because that was the tenor of the time. And ESPN put its finger in the air and felt the wind blowing in that direction. And then when everything switched, when George Floyd was murdered, then, you know, that's a completely different situation. So it's kind of interesting because Jamel and Sage are kind of victims of ESPN's being, you know, fickleness, right? Of ESPN seeing where the, you know, where the wind is blowing, right? Uh, and uh, the really interesting thing, you know, Sage mentions this uh, uh, episode that happened during the women's tournament where they had a moment of silence about the law in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that if that had happened in the John Skipper era, it would have led Fox News for like three weeks, right? If that had, if Jamel Hill had been involved in that, it would have been a huge, huge deal. It just goes to show how, how much ESPN has no actual politics. I think people don't understand this. ESPN's politics are whatever is popular, whatever will not get them in trouble, whatever will curry favor, and that changes. And guess what? After the Republicans finish, you know, picking the Democrats apart in in November, right? Maybe they'll switch back again, right? I mean, there's no valid point. It's a valid argument. It's a valid point. I compliment you on that. I understand where you're coming from on that. Shall we move on? Let us do so. Let's move on to the National Hockey League playoffs here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. And on the ice, the Stanley Cup playoffs have gotten underway here as we release the podcast. It is the first time since 2006, John Lewis, that the playoffs are not exclusively on NBC in the United States. Of course, obviously, they're on different networks in Canada and even globally. So it is the first time uh, in some 16 years it's not been on NBC. ESPN had its first hockey playoff game since 2004. Remember, there was no 2004-2005 season a lockout after my Tampa Bay Lightning had won the Stanley Cup, wiped out the entire next year. NBC had the TV deal the following year. So ESPN had not done playoff hockey since, dare we say, George H.W. Uh, Bush was prompting uh, re-election and trying to get the Republican nomination to go for re-election in 2004. How about that on, on a way back? So ESPN doing playoff hockey games this week. Uh, also, Turner will debut, John, what, Thursday, and it will be the first time that a network other than NBC or ESPN will televise Stanley Cup playoff hockey since Fox Sports. And when was that? 1999, right? So very interesting times with different broadcast partners. What do you make of this as the Stanley Cup finals, which are definitely exciting, definitely a lot of one goal games and overtime games, et cetera. They are getting underway. What are your thoughts real quick? Well, one, I want to say was George W. Bush, not George Herbert Walker Bush. There we go. George W. Bush. Thank you for the clarification. Bush 43, right? Not Bush 41, I believe, in that instance. There we go. Yes. Yes. The the Bush with the Southern accent, not the Bush with the New England accent. (laughs) Right. uh, But, you know, look, uh, the NHL is already benefiting the ratings for game one of the Bruins Hurricane Series last night. I don't have any confirmation on this, but I believe the most watched uh, opening round game one since 2002. So 20 wow. years. Uh, so kind of joining the NBA in that 20 year high. Do you chalk that up to power of ESPN yeah. because they were running simultaneous playoff games 
uh, Bruins, Carolina, Maple Leafs, Lightning in two early windows, kind of staggered about 30 minutes apart on ESPN and ESPN2. Do you do you chalk a lot of that up to the brand name of ESPN helps elevate it? Yeah, I do. I, I think, you know, I mean, we are talking about uh, the default. You go, I mean, look, for the NHL, you go into a bar now, and that you don't have to ask for the hockey game to get turned on because it's already on because the TVs are turned to ESPN. That's a win. Uh, you don't have to say go to channel, you know, 1053 NBCSN, right? <laughs> so that's that's a win right off the bat. Um, did that help in the regular season? Not really. There's been a lot of glowing words about the regular season numbers. Based on the information that I have, the regular season viewership on ESPN and Turner was lower than it was on NBCSN last year if we're just looking at exclusive games. Right. So NBCSN, for its exclusive games last year, averaged more viewers than ESPN or Turner did for their exclusive games. So in the regular season, it didn't really help at all. But for the playoffs, when you have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three straight nights, ESPN and ESPN two, nothing but hockey. I mean, come on. It should help it. Yeah. Yeah. The trade-off is that you have no broadcast television presence at all until the final. So the cable situation is infinitely better. But NBC also had up to, you know, three games a weekend, four games a weekend sometimes on the broadcast network, regular primetime games on the broadcast network. And I mean... The NHL is going to benefit from being on ESPN and ESPN2 and TNT and TBS. There's no doubt about that. And the benefit from that outweighs the negative of being off of broadcast television. But the negative of being off of broadcast television is real. It's real. Because, you know, there's so many executives in this business who have lied to everyone's face over the years about broadcast television. They always say, oh, no one knows the difference. Well, if people don't know the difference, then why is it the case that broadcast television consistently outperforms cable across the board to this day, right? You can put anything you want on broadcast television and you're still going to get bigger numbers if it's the exact same time slot, right? You know, the reality is that broadcast television is still where you go to get the biggest numbers to maximize your audience. And, and we've elaborated on this, but we'll just we'll condense it in this version. There are a lot of people who through routine appointment TV watch the news on the same channel and have for 20 or 30 years on broadcast TV. They watch shows like Wheel of Fortune. I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, Jeopardy Entertainment Tonight on that channel and the cha- and this channel stays on to watch nighttime drama, sporting mm-hmm. events, et cetera. I- I'm not saying that it's everybody, but there is a segment where it's ingrained that this is what we watch in our household. And I, and I have one of those households here where we, we watch, I won't say which one, we watch a certain channel, their news, their fringe programming before primetime, their primetime programming. And if sports are on there, it's on, like you say, default. There are yeah. a lot of people who are like that and it helps. Yep. Yeah, I mean, look, broadcast television is still, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox. These are still the big brands in in TV. And, you know, ESPN and Turner, they're kind of like the broadcast networks of cable. They're the, you know, the cable networks that people kind of instinctively go to. 
But ABC is one of the broadcast networks of broadcast television. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, the reality is that to be offered broadcast television for the entire playoffs is a problem. It's outweighed or let me just say mitigated by the incredible cable exposure that the playoffs will get this year. And, And it's a huge benefit for the NHL to have that. But, you know, it would be ridiculous to pretend that the NHL isn't going to take a tremendous hit from being completely off of broadcast for the entire postseason. And people have been ingrained on it being on NBC for 15 years. And and that network, yes, that cable network, yes, but on NBC once you get to the bigger game. So that's going to take some getting used to. Just a quick comment. Turner, again, is doing this for the first time. Be very interesting with the lead crew of Kenny Albert and Eddie Olchick, who I love both of those guys, including together uh, on the hockey call. It'll be fascinating to watch their call because they're going all the way through the conference finals, one of the conference finals, I believe, here as well. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out later this week and through the next few weeks. With Turner. Yeah. Well, I mean, it'll be the first time for them. They're bringing in a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks getting employed this year because ESPN and Turner, they're producing all of their broadcasts. NBC, you know, NBC did not do that. NBC would, you know, they would air every game, but some of those games are just simulcast from Sportsnet. So, Canada, you know, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so it'll be very interesting to see how it goes, um, you know, and, uh, I think TBS is probably not going to be uh, having its highest rated nights ever as the over, you know, the secondary channel for the NHL. Uh, If you've ever seen how TBS draws for a big bang theory, I think they'd much rather hear that. But, (laughs) you know, the reality is that I think uh, it's a great deal for the NHL on the cable side and not a very good deal for the NHL on the broadcast side. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that sacrifice you have to make sometimes to get the kind of TV money you want. Hey, Stanley Cup playoffs rolling on. We are rolling on in the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. It's time. Love it or leave it. Subject number one, they will run the latest version of the Kentucky Derby back in its normal a slot and window of the first Saturday in May. John Lewis, love it or leave it a Kentucky Derby viewer. Are you someone, is this appointment TV for you? You check it out, you watch. What, what about it? Yeah, actually, actually, uh, I've been watching the Kentucky Derby every year since uh, 2002, believe it or not, I guess 20 years now. And, uh, you know, I enjoy it. Uh, you know, Bob Baffert is corrupt as hell, but I'll, I'll miss Bob <laughs> Baffert on there. Right. He's 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 famous. Right. He's or infamous know. now with all yeah, the scandals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know pretty, what? Pretty wild that, again, the most successful trainer in the history of the Kentucky Derby is now essentially uh, a pariah is somebody they don't yeah. want around. It's ironic at this big event and is suspended currently and is actually suing. Speaking of lawsuits from earlier, he's actually suing, trying to get his reputation back and suing Churchill Downs. And that'll be one of the backdrops. Bob Baffert, very famous, the face of horse racing. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I guarantee you more people are familiar with Bob Baffert's face than with Mike Trout's face. I guarantee it. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Q factor on that, yeah. Yeah, and his absence could be a factor, maybe. Um, I think the biggest problem for horse racing is that American Pharaoh won the uh, won the Triple Crown. And the Triple Crown drought was actually a great thing for sure. horse racing because it made every single time one of these horses won two, it made it a huge deal. And when Justify 
won the triple crown in 18. It just was not as big a deal. Um, Good point. But I do want to point out, you know, you said it was back on its normal date. It was back on its normal date last year, too. Okay. Thank but, you. Yeah, I point that out because who even noticed, right? Uh, and the Derby, it did, it actually did a pretty good number last year, 14 million viewers. But, you know, one of the things about the Derby numbers, it should be pointed out, we're talking about like a 15-minute period. We're talking about basically the kind of, for the Derby, well, not 15 minutes, I'm sorry, because uh, NBC puts out the race portion number, which is actually maybe about an hour 45. So averaging, you know, 14 million viewers over about 90 minutes is, is still pretty impressive. But realistically, you know, um, it does have a bit of a leg up because it's so short. And, and again, uh, you can catch it later and it's easy to catch up with. It's not like trying to rewatch a three hour NFL game uh, with a two minute horse race. All right. One more fun one on that. I'm not going to re uh, hit the love it or leave it. A mint julep. Have you ever tasted a mint julep before? I have no idea what a mint julep even is. Mint has mint, has rum. It's a Kentucky drink, has the bourbon, uh, I believe, in it. I have tasted it. I'm not an alcohol guy. Nasty. So, yeah. th- so I think we're both leave it on that category. Let's continue officially with another one. Love it or leave it. Curious about this. Uh, great call. Colleague of mine, Todd Grisham, who you may know from Sports Center days, but also uh, World Wrestling Entertainment days, now does boxing on DAZN, uh, the streaming service, and was part of the Ladies World Lightweight uh, Championship fight that was a thrilling, exciting fight. It sold out Madison Square Garden on Saturday. Grisham, tip of the hat along with Jessica McCaskill, a female fighter and, and champion who was the analyst, Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated and DAZN fame doing the NBA and boxing on DAZN. Um, they were on the call, and they were right on it for a great event, a great night, and Grisham was right on the play-by-play call. Just a shout-out. Love it to Todd Grisham on a great job because announcers could sometimes, John, ruin big events. I'm just shouting him out real quick that he was at the right time uh, animated a couple of times. There was a great fifth round of action, and he didn't overcall it, screaming and hollering. Love it from me. Are you a guy that gets into the boxing play-by-play? Joe Tessitore does it, obviously, for ESPN. Brian Kenny is on the Fox calls of the boxing, the premier boxing champions. Uh, Mauro Ronaldo, speaking of Canada, the Canadian voice is a very enthusiastic call on the Showtime Championship Boxing on pay cable. Any of these boxing broadcasts do anything for you or you kind of leave it on that category? Well, you know, I, I never really got into boxing, to be completely mm-hmm. honest. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's a lot of great announcers who've done boxing, of course. Uh, you know, obviously Cosell. Uh, but Marv uh, Albert, me, sure. yeah, Marv Albert, yeah. When they did the premier boxing champions, remember they brought that, uh, yes, they brought Marv and Al Michaels. Uh, they really put a lot into that and then it just kind of faded away into nothingness. Right. But you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, and, uh, I don't know for me, boxing, uh, Who's uh, the one who uh, challenged Floyd Mayweather and said, if I was younger, I'd, uh, <laughs> Larry, Larry Merchant, Merchant right? on yeah. ESP on uh, HBO, Jim Lampley, Larry Merchant were legendary. They had Sugar Ray Leonard for a while. They had George Foreman for a while with them. And that night Merchant uh, at 80 years of age, I believe about 10 years ago said, if yeah. I was, I think it was, if I was 10 years younger, oh. I'd kick your ass. Was what wow. I said back to him. Yeah. There was a lot of, I think there was a lot of pro wrestling promo going back and forth between those two trying to sell it. I think a little bit on that. That's what boxing does uh, with that. Uh, One more here. Love it or leave it. Uh, I am just curious. uh, Major League Baseball, the the games are all over the place. Have you been sampling some of this different places? The Apple Plus that's going on. 
the different broadcasts on YouTube, on MLB Network. Any, any update on the baseball viewership from you? Just real quick. I mean, it's hard enough for me to just get the baseball TV schedule updated on the site, much less tune into any of these. Uh, you know, I have a couple of Apple TVs, but I, I mean, I haven't even tried to watch these games on Apple TV Plus. And, you know, honestly, baseball has created a circumstance. They've really created a circumstance where their national TV audience is minimal because there's no exclusive windows and you end up with just Sunday night baseball and nothing else. And baseball is doing that largely because they know their bread is buttered with the RSNs. But I do wonder if they're going to go too far one day and create a, you know, create for themselves a situation where people are not tuning into baseball. They just don't get the habit for it. You need that national audience in October. And if you are not, you know, the loss of Monday and Wednesday night baseball is really big. It is. Uh, and you, you're replacing it with Apple TV Plus and Peacock is not enough. And these, these TBS windows are dreadful right now. These numbers of the TBS Tuesday games are really bad. There's no way Turner thought that they'd be getting 200,000 viewers for the Tuesday night baseball, because that's lower than, that we, than what we were getting for the Sunday afternoon games in the summer. Wow. So, you know, they, you know, that's not working. Uh, baseball, what baseball needs to do is they need to get a season long Fox game of the week on a Thursday night. That's my pitch to them uh, because, you know, Fox out of all, the, uh, out of the four broadcast networks, Fox is the one that just doesn't matter in terms of, you know, they're still out there trotting the Simpsons out every week. And it's like one of their highest rated shows. All right. So, you know, to me, Fox, I mean, I'm pretty sure Fox is going to have a Thursday night USFL game at some point. Right. Um, so their current Thursday night lineup is Master Chef Jr. Call Me Cat, which was the worst pilot I've cool. ever seen in my life. The fact that that got renewed is staggering. And then some little disaster called Welcome to Flash that last <laughs> week on a broadcast network, on a big four broadcast network, averaged 687,000 viewers. Wow. A 0.16 in 18 to 49. A 0.10 in 18 to 34. I mean... You can't do dramatically worse than that with baseball. Well, right. maybe they should go to it with losing the NFL that they've I had mean, now on Thursday nights for so many years, at least in September, you're talking about the bigger baseball right. games. Maybe, but that's got to be a future negotiation. It's, it's got to be season long because baseball has nothing between Sunday nights. They have to have a weeknight package. Those Monday and Wednesday night games did not do very well in the ratings, honestly. And they've, right. and they've shotgunned the broadcast all over the place. All right, we've got to get out of here in a moment or two. Anything else in closing before we're done, John Lewis? Um, you know, not really. Uh, I guess I would just say to all those folks out there at ESPN, uh, try to carry yourself like adults for a change and stop having all this ridiculous drama that gets out into the press, maybe, you know, <laughs> consider it. It's starting to get a little bit embarrassing, and I can just a say... Little bit. It's not happening anywhere else. It's not happening at Fox. True it's not happening too. at CBS. It's not happening at NBC. It's only happening in Bristol. And you know what? Maybe it's Bristol. So, you know, maybe go out on a vacation or something. You know, get out of that general area. Although, honestly, how many of them are still in Bristol anyway, right? Everyone's remote nowadays. But whatever you, whatever you guys need to do over there in Bristol to actually get your act together and stop embarrassing yourselves every few weeks really consider doing that 
Give it a shot. We give it a shot every week on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Congratulations, John Lewis. You made it through, playing a little hurt, a little under the weather. Well done. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We encourage you to read the site, SportsMediaWatch.com. Follow John at Paulson underscore SMW for Sports Media Watch on social media as well. However you found this podcast, continue to do so. Follow, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us on this edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.